0: Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about Cthulhu. We're talking about Cthulhu-themed games. And honestly, we're talking about... Uh, games that have changed the face of gaming as we know it. We got Richard Launius on the show today. Richard, really appreciate you being here. Thanks. Thanks for uh, being on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. Glad to be here.
0: Absolutely Richard you are uh, an expert I would say in Cthulhu games if not Cthulhu at least Cthulhu games and, and you've you've had I mean you've had the biggest ones of the last I don't know 3 decades uh, definitely in the last 10 11 years and you you've done a lot in the board gaming industry for sure but before we get into Cthulhu just uh, tell the, the listeners you know in case they're not familiar with who you are kind of give them your background how you got into the hobby and maybe some of your uh, bigger accomplishments along the way
1: Okay, be glad to. Uh, I was a, a fine arts major in college, and that's really how I got into the hobby. I get well I was always a gamer, uh, even as a teenager and young, and I started using some of my art skills to make games way back when I think in high school I made mostly sports type games that we would play amongst ourselves. and uh, I did a couple of um, adventure games based on James Bond, which was which was kind of fun back then. Uh, and we just played those ourselves, so I always kind of liked the hobby. And uh, when I went to college, uh, when I was a senior in college, you could design your own some of your own classes. And I designed a class called game design where I basically had a, a professor that, that, you know, they, they were my instructor, but they really just reviewed the project I was doing, and I designed a couple of different games in that and just always continued designing games. Afterwards, uh, I actually tried to get a job with Hallmark at the time who had a small game design uh, wing, in uh, kansas city missouri because i went to college in iowa and uh, couldn't get in with them so ended up going into yellow pages which actually turned out being a great career for me because i managed art departments publishing ultimately took over all i.t for the yellow pages and then bell south and ultimately at&t and uh, retired about seven years, going on eight years ago now from AT&T, and been designing games full-time ever since. But even through the process of working 32 years with uh, the, inside the AT&T umbrella of companies, I designed games on the side. Of course, the first one being that I ever had published was Arkham Horror, but I actually did some role-playing stuff prior to that for Call of Cthulhu. Uh, for Chaosium and, and different World's magazines that were published. And along the line, I had a friend who started Interstell as a um, uh, Internet, uh, oh, not Internet, before, before Internet actually then, as a computer game design company and uh, designed a few computer games with them for a while. But always kept just doing some design work on the side and uh, ultimately got the, uh, the first Arkham Horror published back in the 80s. And, uh, you know, designed on the side since then, up up until publishing the second edition of, of Arkham Horror with Fantasy Flight, and and then doing Defenders of the Realm and starting to do more and more, and especially after I retired, you know, really getting involved in, in doing a lot of different designs.
0: Gotcha. So you're telling me that Hallmark had a game division.
1: They did. They they had just started it, in fact, uh, uh, and, you know, I, I came out uh, probably with just a graduating class of about you know, 12 fine arts students. And uh, two of us actually applied at Hallmark. One one of us got hired. He got hired in the uh, card division, which they offered me a job in the card division too. They told me, uh, you'll be painting, you know, red birds and snow scenes. And I decided, yeah, that really wasn't what I wanted to do. So I told him, I think I'll pass on that. But keep me in mind if you ever do more with the game division. The game division only lasted with them a couple of years. They did a couple of. Uh, what i would call you know really basic games where you roll the dice you move on a board they had i think uh some uh some boating game and they had a couple of other different games that i looked at very rudimentary games but uh they didn't stick with it but it would have been a good place to work they, had, they definitely were a, a fine
0: company wow that's that's really incredible i never even knew about that I bet most people don't even know that they they made games but how many games have you published up to this point
1: Oh geez, I don't even really count them anymore. Uh, are you count with with expansions? I, I don't know. I imagine I'm in the 30s at this point. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe more. Um, I know since I moved, I did a count of games that are in the process of being published, or games I'm in the pro that are under contract, or games that um, are in design right now. And since I moved, uh, I've really worked a lot because I you know haven't known as many people in this area. And I think I did 24 in the last year and a half that are either in process, sold, under contract, or came out this last
0: year. Wow, that's that's crazy. That's an incredible amount of production. How many games, though, do you think you've prototyped, you've worked on, but then walked away from that just wasn't working It wasn't going to be a good game?
1: Well into the hundreds, maybe thousands. I mean, um, you know, I... I, um, I'm not like a lot of designers in terms of how I go about designing. I wish I wish Sometimes I wish I was, okay, to be honest with you, because a lot of them that I know are brilliant in how they can really just do the math first, uh, come up with the mechanics first, you know, and, and, and sit down and show you this game, that game, mix and match mechanics, and all this kind of stuff. And I, I take the approach really like an artist. Uh, for me, and it's hard for me to tell people how I design games because for me it's more of an art process than a scientific process. I get an idea, I get a theme, I sit down and I try to bring that to life. Uh, My idea and the games I try to make are basically, I try to create an adventure for people to get into, whatever it is. I try to create this world where they get to go into it and be the hero of that world. And, um, you know, and, and for me that's how I mark the success. At the end, did I create a thematic experience for the players? Uh, and and I, I see that and get feedback on that going all the way back to the original Arkham Horror. I mean, I was at, uh, I think it was Origins a year ago or two years ago when I was at Origins. Had somebody come up to me and they started telling me in fine detail about something happened in one of their Arkham Horror games. And this wasn't the recent Arkham Horror. This is an Arkham Horror game they played 25 years ago, the original wow. Arkham. Yeah. And they were going into great detail as if this was a story that really happened. And uh, to be honest with you, that makes me feel good because that means at least with that person, I achieved my goal of giving them an experience that became memorable.
0: Absolutely. And it's so validating as a designer, as an artist or anybody that, that is in a creative field. When people come up to you and they tell you about the way that they've really enjoyed your work or really experienced uh, what you were trying to create, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, it's it's a great feeling. and it And it's really... Uh, probably the thing I enjoy most about about the entire uh, uh, profession, uh, or even the hobby industries, there's just a lot of great people out there that uh, you know have great imaginations. And people play games for different r- reasons, but a lot most of the people that I interact with that really play and enjoy my games, they have uh, fantastic imaginations and really like to escape into them.
0: Absolutely. And another thing I want to kind of focus on something you said just a second ago. You know, when when somebody is getting into game design or they've been a designer for a short amount of time, it's easy for them to look at somebody like a Richard Lonnius, like an Eric Lang, like some of these guys in the industry that are putting out a crazy number of games. Year after year after year, their games are at the top. Uh, you know, doing a lot of really cool stuff. It's easy to look at that and and think, oh, they they must just have something I don't have. They must just be a lot better than I am. But what they don't see is the thousand prototypes that you walked away from, the thousand ideas you walked away from, uh, to get to the x number of games that you've designed. And so, man, uh, it's so good to hear that. The guys like you are are constantly just coming up with ideas that are probably pretty good ideas on the front end, but then you just have to walk away from for whatever reason. It's not like you have some magical uh, potion that you pour on a, an idea and it becomes this published game
1: Yeah, it's not and I, I'll tell you what uh, you know it's interesting because I I've, lately and I know this is a trend especially among young people. I guess I'm old enough now I can say that <laughs> uh, you know what I'm constantly hearing is how lucky I am. Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you what, uh, I find the harder I work, the luckier I get. I yeah. mean, they, 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 there are shelves, and shel- I, have sh- I have shelves of unfit games, okay, of things that uh, just didn't work, and one of the stories I always like to tell is that, you know, I, I was doing a spot game one time, and it was I did it as a straight co-op initially, it was a total failure, then I said, you know, I'm going to try it as a Euro, that was a total failure. I basically worked on about uh, eight different types of games around the same theme, I finally came up with with a theme that really, really worked well and it was a mix of a deck building game that built dice at the same time. So it was deck building dice building. Uh, and it was signed by Z-man, but then Z-man sold out and Sophie never published it, so it's come back to me and I just haven't done anything with it yet. but you know, it finally got to the end where it was really the the game that I envisioned at the start, but I probably spent, you know going back to that several times. I probably spent six, eight, ten months. ...of design on that, uh, you know, fooling with it. Ultimately, it's right now it's still on my shelf of unfit games because I haven't sold it yet. And I'll pull it out again now uh, at some point and and show it to somebody else. But uh, uh, there's just a tremendous amount of work that goes into game design. And it really requires you to have a vision about where you want it to be and then to drive that game to that, that vision because one of the other things I see is a lot of times people settle for a playable game. Right. I'm seeing that's probably the biggest thing I'm seeing in the industry now is that so many games are coming out and they're playable. Okay. Uh, they're also kind of, and I, I don't mean this as a criticism, but a lot of them are utterly forgettable. Right. They, they don't have uh, they don't, they don't create that total experience. And I look at a lot of those games and I think, you know, if I could have sat down with this designer when they were in like, the beta testing, and we would gone back, and we'd have done this development, that development, and taken it just one level higher. This could be a game that could really be, you know, uh, something that sells year after year after year. But it seems a lot of games now, you know, then the companies are jumping for those. Companies used to not do that either. Companies used to, you know, you really had to have a really solid game, uh, or or they weren't interested. But now they're going to a lot of these prototype cons, and they're signing you know, a lot of games uh, that are really still in beta.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, we're in this renaissance of gaming, but that also means that it's a lot more crowded. There's a lot more noise. And so if you aren't taking the time to really do a lot of playtesting and really get down deep in the, the way your game works and the experience you're creating, then your game is going to be forgotten. You're only going to do one print run. You know, it's it's just not going to be what you really want it to be. And it, it's about that extra five or 10 percent. You know, it's it's about getting to 90 percent of the way through. And then, and then not settling for that. It's its taking the next three, four, five, six months, whatever it takes, to get your game to an excellent place so that people are playing it. I mean, Arkham Horror, that came out in 2005, and people are still playing it at conventions today, 11, 12 years later. You know, it just speaks to the, the amount of effort and and. Uh, excellence that you were chasing after in that game. Uh, Another thing I think about is, you know, Seth Godin, he talks about failure. And the more I fail, the more likely I am to win. So the more I fail, uh, the more likely I am to beat you at whatever it is. Uh, you, You know, with game design, it's it's a practice in failure. It's a practice in, in games not working out, not turning out the way you want them to. And ultimately, you have to put them on that shelf for a while, maybe to come back later. But you know, as a young game designer, kind of give some advice on how to mitigate that failure, not to get discouraged, how to keep going, even if all your game ideas are, are turning out poorly.
1: Well, I, I, th- I think if you're a game designer... If you uh, first of all, you know, are you really a game designer? That's my first question to people sometimes. Is or do you have an idea for one game? You know, point. I I run into a lot of game designers, and they have this. Uh, some of them are even very protective of their game. I don't want anybody to see it. Somebody's going to steal it, so on and so forth. <laughs> you know, I, I never had that attitude. In fact, uh, you know, when I sold when I sold the, the fan, when I sold Arkham Horror, the the second edition of of uh, uh, Arkham Horror. I redesigned. I called it. Actually, returned to Arkham, and I was actually just playing in the Breezeway at Origins when when Kevin Wilson walked by, and said, "Hey, can I join?" And he sat down. He played with me, and about a month and a half later, I got a call from uh, 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 Peterson saying, "You know, uh, we're we're interested in publishing uh, a new edition of Arkham Horror," and I got to work with Kevin Wilson on on you know really developing that and taking it to the next level. He's a fantastic designer, and I really enjoyed all my processes of working with Kevin, but. uh, you know, if I'd been afraid to show the game or or just have it out in the open, that that process would have never taken place. And I always hear from designers, "Well, I'm worried somebody's going to steal it. How do I protect it?" So on and so forth. My viewpoint is, you know, if you're a really uh, if you're really a game designer, then that's not your only idea. Forget about it. And if somebody ends up stealing it, which in this industry I don't see a lot of that happening, because you know, they, there may be a few people that. Uh, uh, would stoop to that, but there I haven't experienced any in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, so so my viewpoint is, if they if somebody steals one of my games, fine, I'll make another game. You know, I got I got lots of ideas. So I, I think it all hinges on you need to have first thing is you need to have a lot of ideas uh, arrows in your quiver of games that you can design, and then you need to pick the one that excites you the most and work on that game and make that. The vision that you had for from the very beginning, okay, and and too often people are are strapped to their first mechanics that they put in a game, and the mechanics of a game are not the game, okay, uh, they are a piece of the game, and they have to work with that game. I'll throw out mechanics very quickly if the starting mechanics I had in a game didn't work, I'll toss them out and I'll put something else in. Uh, you know, I try to always marry the right mechanics with the theme and the experience that I'm trying, trying to create. And I think that, uh, you know, the main thing is, you know, don't, don't give up. Know you have a lot of ideas, drive for them, push them to completion. If nobody's interested in, it or if it doesn't get to where it should be shelf it and, and go and start one of your other designs. You can always go back to one later. And I've, I've done that many, many times. In fact, I, uh, one will be coming out next year from uh, Indie card and games that, uh, I thought was a great design when I did it eight years ago, but I just couldn't get anybody interested. And I pulled it out this year and, and uh, Pete Shirley and I teamed up on it. We did a lot of, um, a lot of redesign on it. Some, some of the redesign is really just because the industry changes so much, but uh, you know, indie cards and games picked it up. And I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I think people are really going to enjoy it. We made it, we made it better. And it was a good game, you know, eight years ago when it was really designed. So these, old, these old ideas never really go away. They just kind of move back on a shelf, and you go pursue something else. And and sooner or later, you'll look back at them and say, you know, I think I can fix this now. And I know that a lot of designers do this. I'm not the only designer that does this. So uh, I don't know any designers that don't have failures. But they all the you know if they're if they're an industry designer, they have confidence in themselves, and they have enough different creative ideas that they can move on, do something else, then come back to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm reminded of baseball. You know, in baseball, if you bat 300 for your career, you go to the Hall of Fame. But that means you failed seven out of 10 times. You only got to hit three out of 10 times, but yet you're a Hall of Famer. And in game design, that number's way less than three out of 10. I mean, it's way, way farther down than that. And so, you know, but I really love the, the, the whole concept, the difference between a designer and a guy with an idea. You know, a designer—it's—it's not about the idea. It's about who you want to be as as a person, as a creative person, whatever it is, as opposed to just having one idea that's your baby. You know, that that you're so protective over, and if anybody criticizes it, you get offended and all that. There's a huge difference in those two things.
1: There is, and a lot of times the difference is uh, that you know, everybody that plays the hobby will get an idea at some point of something that should be a game. And some of those people will make them and that's great. And sometimes they'll just make a game that only they can play. It's too complex. It's too big. It can't be published, but they enjoy it. And their friends enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's all great. Okay. But a designer has a lot of ideas and they can flow between themes and mechanics and, and can put the right pieces together. Uh, you know, uh, They'll, they'll have plenty of failures, but they'll put the right pieces together a lot of the times. And the more they do it, the better they'll get at it. It gets like right now. I mean, I've been at this a long time, and I can see mechanics very easily now when I, I couldn't see them uh, so much, I think, when I first started out and I didn't really think about them much then. And I still try to not think about mechanics a whole lot. I don't really want the mechanics to be the glaring part of the games I design. I want it to be the theme in the story. You know, uh, and that's one of the things I always advise game designers. You know, when when I talk about a game with a company, I don't say to them, oh, here's a deck builder I put together. I want you to take a look at it. Or, oh, here's a worker placement game. Oh, here's a, you know, dice rolling adventure game. No, I, I go in and I say to them, okay, this game's going to recreate the Jaws movies to some extent. You're going to experience all the combat between the people on that boat and that, that killer shark as they're trying to protect their island from the savage that he's putting on it. And that's the story that I spin, and that's the story that I tell. If they can see the mechanics as they're playing the game, that's fine with me. But I don't need to explain the mechanics. I need to simply explain the experience I expect them to have. And that's the kind of thing I think that works a lot of times in setting your game with the proper expectation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And going in to the game, knowing what kind of experience you want to create, and then building mechanics and all these different things to support that experience, as opposed to um, being real clever. A lot, of, a lot of game designers now, they want to be clever. They want people to think how smart they are, or so, you know that kind of uh, reasoning. But it's really about the, the players and what they're experiencing during your game.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I've never really competed for the clever games because I, I will openly tell people I'm not that smart. I I, I just, I, you know, I don't want to do calculus during a game. Right. I don't want to be doing high math. I don't want it to come down to somebody was able to outbid me at a critical time in a game, and that's what did it. And, yeah, there'll be critics of some of my games say, yeah, but you'll you'll have a dice roll. That's true. I, I love dice rolling in games, and, and that creates chances. Some people don't like chance. But I also give people a lot of ways to mitigate that chance and, and to control how chance goes out. But, the, but for me, uh, because I like to do adventure games that create that adventure experience, there can't be automatic successes. There has to be an element of risk or else the theme will not work.
0: Absolutely. So let, let's talk about that in more detail. Let's go back in the files. Let's go back to 1987 with the original publication of, uh, of Arkham Horror, the board game. Tell me about that game. Where did the idea come from? How did it come to be?
1: Okay, it was, it was actually, you know, um, I think it was a, two years earlier was when the first Call of Cthulhu came out from Sandy Peterson at Kiosium. uh in that timeline, and, and I'd gone into a small hobby store, and I, I usually bought board games, but the guy said, look, I got a role-playing game here that's a theme I think you'll like, so I bought Call of Cthulhu, and I tell you what, it was just a brilliant, brilliant role-playing game, and I had not really been familiar with Lovecraft up to that, I mean, I knew he was a writer, but I hadn't read much of his stuff. So I really started reading all the Lovecraft stuff. I really loved the role the role playing game, but at that time, uh, my wife was an emergency room nurse that worked at night. I worked during the daytime managing our departments, and uh, we had uh, you know two small children that I would come home. We'd be like a tag team parents. I would come home, she would go to work, and so there I was. I was with the kids. So what I would do is after I put the kids to bed, I started thinking, you know, I can't really do what I want to do, which is play this game. So I said, I'm going to make this into a board game that I can either play with other people or I can play it by myself. doesn't matter how I play it. And from that idea, I created the Arkham Horror board game. Uh, I just put the locations together. I put uh, you know all the different things you can do, casting spells, getting things, having combat, ancient ones, all this kind of stuff. And uh, if you haven't played the original version... The original version is is you know while the the encounters a lot of the a lot of the encounters in the original 1987 version are in are in the uh, 2005 version but one of the biggest differences is you know you didn't have an ancient one ancient one that was ongoing uh, you could have multiple ancient ones show up on the board at any given time in the original game and uh, that was that was kind of fun and, and different for for its period but uh, that's how I originally came up with the idea to do the game is I selfishness. I wanted to play it myself. And so I created it. uh, I started playing it. Everybody that I played with then would come over on weekends, we'd play it, and they'd say, you know, you ought to submit this to Chaosium. And I was like, well, back then, you know, we didn't have computers. At least we didn't have computers at our houses. Uh, You know, we didn't have, in fact, everything in that game was hand-drawn, handmade, hand-typed. So I knew if I sent it off to him, it was all gone because mm-hmm. I didn't have any copies of it. Yeah. But finally, I said, "You know, I'm going to send it off to him." So I did. I sent it off to him, and uh, literally, I didn't hear anything back for about three and a half, maybe four months. Finally, got a one, uh, got a call from Greg Stafford, the president of Calcium, and he said, uh, "He said, look, uh, we want to publish. We want to publish this game." He said, "It's all my playtesters want to do every day is come in and play this game." So. <laughs> Uh, so that, that was a good feeling. And, and uh, so they, they published the first edition. And, uh, you know, it's it's been uh, that course uh, uh, is still a fun game to play. I broke that out uh, not long. In fact, I broke that out with uh, Chris Kirkman and, and Daryl Lauder at my house. Last year, we were working on Fate of the Elder Gods. And uh, Chris goes, I want to play Arkham Horror. I said, great. And I started to get out the 2005. He says, no, no, I want to play the original Arkham Horror. So I warned him. I said, okay, remember, mechanics are roll and move and all this kind of stuff. He said, I don't care. Let's play it. And I got to tell you what, we had a blast. I mean, the original Arkham Horror, you know, it's it's only got four pages of rules, okay, Uh, as opposed to 50 some. It's simple to play. I think we were done in like an hour and 10 minutes, something like that. And uh, we actually had a blast. Uh, I hope someday we actually uh, uh, do a, a classic version of the game. I, I think that uh, if uh, Fantasy Flight wanted to do a classic version of the game at some point, I think people would really enjoy that, to have the, the original 1985 version. Of course, with new art and stuff like that. But, in fact, I put one together and ran it at Arkham Knights, and I think I had eight different games of it, and the people had a blast. So,
0: Yeah, no, I, w- I would love that. You know, just kind of a, a, a remastered edition or something like that. That would be awesome.
1: Yeah, it. it I, I think. I think there's a market for it now because I think a lot of people, even though it's got some of the older mechanics in it, uh, it's still just a fun game to play. And you can see how it evolved into the newer version uh, that that Fantasy Flight has. That still, after all these years, does very good in sales.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and also Arkham Horror the O five version is a game that got a lot of people into the hobby or got them into a deeper level into the hobby. One of my best friends, this is actually the game that really got him into board games. He you know played the gateway games and all that, but Arkham Horror was the one that got him in. And so for people like that to have an opportunity to buy and play the original eighty five you know version, I think it'd be really appealing uh, just from a nostalgia factor.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I've told I've told him if they ever do that, they need to update the artwork. In fact. I, I, I was I was talking with with Corey uh, from fancy flight and I said, you know I, I hope someday you guys will consider doing this but do not publish it as it looked then because some of the some of the artwork on the cards is is just the things i hand drew way (laughs) back when the chaosium just put them on the cards so it's like a little knife i drew or a little stone that i drew for the dragon's eye or whatever and and i mean i i never had any idea those things would be published looking like that so uh but but you know uh from a nostalgic viewpoint they 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 still are kind of fun to look at from time to time so uh so yeah you never know what's going to happen but uh uh i think there's a place for that there and it's always good to hear that uh, the game brought people in i hear that a lot in fact uh one of the things i noticed at conventions this year and it just once again shows me that i'm getting old is i think three or four times i was introduced as a legend in the industry And that's a good way of saying you're really old okay so
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely no my friend uh my friend brian I remember one day he came up to me, he had this game, and he said, hey, you want to play a board game? I said, like, yeah, I'll play. And he said, well, it's going to take about three hours. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I'm like, there's no way. He said, just trust me. And uh, <laughs> just trust me. And sure enough, man, it was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, I'm, I'm I'm, a big fan. But let's talk about that 2005 version. So you you, you spoke uh, briefly earlier about Kevin Wilson seeing the game and all that. Uh, but what was really the, the inspiration to create a newer version um, when it was, you know, before it was picked up or anything, just when you were creating the new version, what was the idea behind that?
1: Well, you know, one of the things I would looked at when I was starting to create the new version was there there were things I wanted to do more of. Like, I, 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 I got the idea that, yeah, I want to make one ancient one that kind of sets off to the side as to have them just appear at locations and be really strong. Uh, I wanted to create a newer looking game, a newer board. I wanted to add more monsters. I wanted to add more encounters. Uh, I wanted to change to where you you just didn't have a a small set gazette of of encounters. So the first thing I did was how I approach every game is I I get an artistic idea for it. So I sat down and I hand-painted a new board. Uh, I added a few new locations. Uh, I tried to update it quite a bit. Uh, and, And I just started making changes to the game. Uh, I added skills to the characters. The original characters got a skill card, but they didn't have any ongoing skills. So I wanted to flesh out the characters more. Uh, I created all the uh, the original character. First character I ever created was Joe Diamond, uh, was the first male. The second character I created was Jenny Barnes, was the first female. And I, so I wanted to give them like more of a personality and an actual ongoing skill background. You know, why are they here? All that type of stuff. And Kevin, he's great at, he loves all that background stuff, and, and he got involved. Of course, Kevin created the slider piece where you change the skills. I remember him and I talking about that, how if we move faster, then we can't sneak as well, and so on and so forth, and uh, he was he was a great pleasure to work with, as well, as everybody at Fantasy Flight's been with me. I, I I've always enjoyed working with them. They're all all of their employees have been you know just brilliant to work with in terms of uh you know how well they work with you and how they communicate and just how many great ideas that they have and how they'll pursue things, how they'll listen um you know and and really interpret and and actually make something better than your your original idea a lot of times. So. Uh, I've enjoyed that process. So, you know, we just started working through it, and I, I remember, uh, you know, the first thing uh, that we ran into was, uh, you know, we were working on the Gazette. We were going to do a new Gazette, which the original one had like a folio of encounters. And he says, uh, everything's got to change to cards. We need to figure out how to change how to do cards. And we're like, okay, well, how do we do cards without there being 50,000 cards? And I remember on the conversation, we came up with a way that well, we'll just put, you know, three locations to a card. And, uh, you know, and, and and we made that work. And, and it's just that kind of an exchange has always been been great. And he and I have always worked. Uh, we worked on, on Arkham. Of course, we worked on Elder Sign together. And and uh, he's always been wonderful to work with.
0: Absolutely. And so, I mean, the reception of that game is obvious just based on the number of expansions that have come out. You know, it's obvious that people love the game because y'all, Fantasy Flight's been creating more and more and more stuff for it. But from your perspective, what was the reception like? What did you really take from uh, the people that were really enjoying your game?
1: Oh, well, I mean, that, that that it did what I intended for it to do. They were having the experience. Uh, interesting fact, I mean, uh, BGG hadn't been around all that long, but it was around when, in 2005. And uh, I remember when I remember counting all the different uh, uh, reviews of the games they were coming up. And you get a positive review, then you get a negative review. You get a positive review, and I think a, after literally there were – Something like 40 reviews that came out the first year on that game from people. And uh, and it was an even break of 2020. Mm-hmm. 20 hated it, 20 loved it. And there was almost no in between. Okay. And, uh, you know, it, and, and, and I think that more than anything else, especially as time has gone by and I, I watch the critics and some like my games and some don't, has really honed my, my game design focus. I'm not designing games for the masses. Mm-hmm. I'm designing games for people who like the kind of games that I design. Uh, and and you know, all I want and expect, I think, from a critic is that they they be fair with that. And they're not always. I have one guy who I don't know who he is, not a critic, but he always rates my games on BGG, and he quite all he almost always gives them a one. He'll write dice after it. <laughs> Enough said. You know, look, you know, if you play most of my games, you're going to have dice. So yeah. you know. Uh, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm not sure somebody should be critical of. But then there's a lot of people that like dice as a mechanic. And, and so uh, I, I think the thing is that, that a game designer needs to be focused on designing games that kind of fit what they want to design games for. And for me, it's very easy. I've, I've been fortunate enough that I was an executive in my career that I didn't have to make money at game design. So I could simply design the game I want to design And I can literally sit down with companies and say, I don't care if you're interested in buying it or not. I'm happy. I love this game and, uh, and mean it. And, uh, that's a good place to be. And, and so I design games I want to design. I, I take them out, uh, and, and I'm fortunate that I have no problem with companies wanting to publish them.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, personally, I believe it's better to design a game that is loved by some than to design a game that is liked okay by a lot of people. Uh, going back to you know how long the game is going to stick around, how long people are going to be talking about it. Well, when you make a game that is loved and hated, those games seem to stick around for for years on end.
1: Yeah, it's it, but it's much tougher now, I think, for a game to have a sticking power than it, than it used to be. I you know, it, there's just so much involved. There's so much marketing that's involved. There's so much uh, international sales that has to be there. Uh, there's so much, you know, partnerships that have to be there. I mean, c- because now we're in a market where there are so many games floating out. You can put out a great game now, and and it can it could disappear. It could literally disappear from the public's viewpoint in a month because there's so much stuff coming out.
0: No, that's, that's a great point. Um, all right, so moving on into the, uh, the theme of Cthulhu. So I get, was Arkham Horror the first board game of Cthulhu? You talked about the RPG, but was it the first board game?
1: i think so yeah. i i don't know i mean uh it was the first board game that i know of i don't know of any board game prior to that in fact i i don't know of any co-op game prior to that but but there may have been
0: oh, i didn't even think uh, about it from a co-op standpoint
1: yeah i i as far as i know uh, it it is the first but uh I I can't think of anything before
0: it. Yeah, I did some research earlier before the before the show trying to find anything and all I could find was the RPG stuff like you were already talking about, but I, as far as I know that was the first one and so, you know, everything that has been Cthulhu based, you know, nowadays really kind of stems from what you did back in the the mid 80s, you know, and from what you kind of uh Took out of the RPG world and put it in the board game form. So, what, but what is it about Cthulhu? Because it seems like now, I mean, Cthulhu games come out every other week, you know, or or an expansion that's a Cthulhu expansion for a game, or you know, a, a re a retheming of a game that's now Cthulhu theming. So, what is it about Cthulhu that has made it so popular and and just caused so many people to design in that universe?
1: Well, I, I think there's a number of different things. I think, yeah, first of all, first and foremost, it's it's a great universe. I mean, Lovecraft's—he he gave us a brilliant, uh, you know. T- for me, he did for for horror what uh, Tolkien did for fantasy. He gave us his great universe. Okay. Now, now the problem is, if you take his universe in its purest form, it, it makes a terrible game, in, in my opinion. Because if you read his stories, I mean, everybody's either insane or dead. You know, there's there's nothing left beyond that, and that that makes for for I think a bad game. Uh, you know, I tell people that you know it's not realistic. You know that you can fight Cthulhu. I say, well, you want realistic? Okay, roll a die. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know that, that if you want realistic in Lovecraft's world, that's what it would be. Yeah. So, so what I did is I tried to do the same thing they did in in Call of Cthulhu, which is cross cross Lovecraft with pulp fiction. Okay, mm-hmm. which gives you a fighting chance. And then the other thing about it is the the pure Lovecraft setting. Which is the uh, the 1920s is just a brilliant period uh, to focus on. I mean, whether you're looking at the gangsters or the you know uh, the, the, the the pulp noir uh, detective type thing, you know the the you've got you've got all these other things that you can blend into it. The world was yet undiscovered back then. Communication you know wasn't the same uh... you can go into the deepest africa and you know not really know much about it and so on and so forth so it gave you this great world of mystery so i I think it's that world of mystery with the opportunity to be heroic that makes it so, so such at least for me that makes it an inviting topic okay uh... and 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 we draw a clear line between good and evil okay these cultists are evil and we're good okay and and so it, it gives you room to do that. Plus, it gives you this vast world that you can go to. You can go to the dreamlands. You can go through gates to other other worlds. There's all kinds of stuff that you can end up doing. So so it's as broad as your imagination. It's a mix of, you know, magic with with um, weapons, modern Semi-modern weapons and and all these different things and I, that's just great for uh, somebody that's creative or somebody that's uh, a game designer that uh, you know wants this broad universe to to paint in. Uh, I think another reason it's popular right now though is because it's had success. Okay, I mean you know look it, it doesn't take uh, you know it's it's kind of companies look around and say look that theme sells let's do that theme and uh, you know they do that and I and I think that succeeds and fails at different degrees. Okay. Uh, the, the person who wants to buy everything that's Lovecraft out there buys the game. But a lot of times these games don't translate great to to the Lovecraft theme.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of games coming out now where it's really just pasted on. You don't feel like you're fighting Cthulhu. You don't feel like anything other than you're playing a card that has an Ancient One's face on it, really. Uh, which is unfortunate because the games that that really kind of brought this theme to the table are these really deep, rich, thematic games with tons of options? I think that's another reason why designers like it. There's so, and what you're saying, there's so many options, but then there's there's this epic feeling to it as well, where you can have these epic games, these epic stories. You know, kind of like the guy coming up to you and telling you about the game he played way back when, and he was telling you every detail of the story like it really happened. Well, you you have that potential with this theme uh, more than a lot of others.
1: Right. I tell I tell people, you know, if if The the game is all about the experience. Don't get, you know, I always hear people say, you know, uh, get caught up in the rules or get caught up in this. Don't get caught up in the rules. Rules are simple, really. I mean, we've got got a lot of things in there that make the rules look complex, but the reality of it is the rules are simple. You're going to move here. You're going to roll dice. Fives and sixes are successes. You know, you're going to go insane. You're going to take wounds. You're going to kill monsters. You're going to, you know, close gates. Uh, Basically, the basic rules are simple, and they're all really just there as a framework for the experience and the experiences in the storytelling and what comes out of the storytelling. And, you know, if a game can create that experience that people long for and want to come back to, then, then they will. And if you give them lots of opportunities to come back to where it paints a different story, you know, one thing that people say, who are critics of Arkham Horror is, you know, is that the, the story is not linear in any way. The Ancient one's not related to the encounters that take place and so on and so forth. And that's one reason why some people, you know, prefer Eldritch Horror, uh, you know, which, which, uh, you know, I worked on that too with Corey. So, you know, I, I don't have any problem with people who say they like Eldritch Horror better because they keep things linear. Every time you pick up a clue, you, you you're doing something around that Ancient One that you've chosen for the game. But all, at the same time, the ones who, the people who still prefer Arkham Horror over Eldritch Horror, they love it because of this broad, random swing of creating experiences that are less refined than 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 what you experience in, in for example, Elder Sign. I mean, not Elder Sign, but but Eldritch Horror. And and I think that's one of the real pluses of the game is that on any given game, it can get up and stomp you, or maybe every now and then you get what seems like an easy win. Uh, but uh, at any time that game can, I always tell people you can't cheat Arkham Horror because at any time it can get off the floor and beat you.
0: <laughs> right. Absolutely. So kind of going off of that, uh, you know, you talked about storytelling, you talked about experience. What are the things that make a good Cthulhu game?
1: Well, I think there has to be, you know, uh, uh, there has to be this mystery that you're, you're, resolving. Even if it's not an unknown mystery. You're you're trying to you're trying to resolve this mystery uh which in, in Arkham Horror is we've got to shut the gates, this ancient one's going to wake up. You know what the mystery is, but you're busy working toward it and you're 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 doing things you know, for, for the better good of the group. And I think you have to, for at least for Arkham Horror, you have to tie it all to the cooperative experience, okay? There is a strategy to the game of how you work together, must work together, the things you do. But still, there's 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 no automatic thing that says, okay, we have to do this or or, or we lose. You have so many choices each turn. And I think it's the choices that people really enjoy about the game because it means I can play it over and over again and I can make different choices I can get different outcomes and 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 have different experiences and I think that's added to the longevity of the game so I think it's creating this world that has some structure for a broad range of choices okay Uh, I did the same thing for example with defenders of the realm in a fantasy type setting it's a little more refined because it's a war but still, one of the biggest differences in it is that you you have so many broad choices each turn, uh, and and there's and there's no clear right one, you know, ninety percent of the
0: time. Gotcha. And so on the opposite end of that, what do you think are some things that make for a bad Cthulhu, Cthulhu game or Cthulhu experience?
1: Oh yeah, well, I think I think if you obviously if it's just slapped on theme. Yeah. I mean, uh, the game doesn't in any way, shape, or 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 form feel like there's you know uh, this this terrible dreaded thing that's 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 coming into our world or infringing upon you know the world as we know it and that you know it has to be stopped or it has to be promoted depending on what kind of game it is whatever the case is but it doesn't have that particular feeling it's simply a game that okay I'm simply doing the mechanics I go here I can I put a person here I draw that card you know, I, I play a hand of cards, I do this, I do that. And it feels just like I'm doing those things, playing a hand of cards, putting a person here, doing this, doing that. It doesn't feel like these cultists are fighting, uh, this investigator's discovered something. It doesn't feel like that. It simply feels like I gained a token, I played some cards, I traded these tokens. Uh, and, and, and games where the mechanics are what you experience. Now, some people really enjoy that. I'm not knocking it. Some people really enjoy just... Playing games with mechanics, okay? And that's there are a lot of games that are very successful that are mechanic, totally mechanic-driven. Theme could have been anything, mm-hmm. but I think for a great game in the Lovecraft world, there needs to be risk. There needs to be, you know, there there, there needs to be these decision points that that are life-threatening. Your character can die. They can go insane. Uh, it's not automatic. If I go in here. I don't know what I'm going to experience and it's a draw the card and that roll of the dice. Everybody at certain points are on the edge of their table waiting to see what's going to happen because it affects everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think a good Cthulhu game has that tension. uh, If not all the time, a lot of the time and the tension comes from the story and not from the mechanics. You know, a lot of games have tension because you're, you're afraid that your opponent's going to grab that die or grab that card before you do, or grab that worker placement spot and there's tension there but that's, that's tension from the mechanics. That's not actually tension from the story. And Cthulhu it needs the tension in the story, in the experience.
1: And, it needs to, and the, that tension needs to be, if we fail this, Arkham as we know is wiped out. Or the world as we know it is wiped out. Or whatever it is that you're battling. That needs to be in the imaginations of the people. And, you know, um, obviously, you know, people play it who don't have broad imaginations, and they play it for different reasons, that's great too. But I think I find the ones who have the great imaginations and really enjoy working together with other people in a co-op game are the ones that come back to Arkham Horror again, again, and again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so what are, what are some of the mechanics uh, that do lend to the Cthulhu experience, that lend to that uh, story and that tension from the story and all that like you're talking about?
1: I don't know how you could ever eliminate dice yeah. to be honest with you because dice, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, oh, you know, uh, you know, dice are create too much randomness. Well, everything creates randomness in games, okay? Uh, I mean, if you don't want any randomness, you're playing chess, uh, where you can see every particular move the opponent's making and then you make it right on top of them. Anytime you draw a card, there's randomness. Everything provides randomness. But I think I think I think what you have to do to make the game really be good is you have to give people uh, this, I don't know what's going to happen, risk situation. But I'm not scared because, you know what, I've got this bottle of holy water and a shotgun. I'm going in there, okay? And, and it's, 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 that kind of, it's, it's that decision point that occurs over and over and over again in the game with various results and various story pieces and I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I'm going into the shunned house and you know, there's a crevice in the floor. Yeah. I'm reaching my hand down in there. You know, that type of thing, uh, is, is what I may think makes the game interesting for people. Uh, and there are a lot of people who will play that and not really enjoy it. I've seen, I've seen players play for the first time, but, but 90% of the people that play it, uh, that I've I've run into really enjoy the experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've heard you know a lot of people say, well, I don't like it because it's too chaotic. Well, my thought on that is, well, you're fighting Cthulhu. I mean, that's that's a chaotic experience if if you're really in that scenario. So it it actually makes a lot of thematic sense to do the things that that you've done in that game.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are clearly there are a lot of people who like to play games where they feel they're in control, and there are games that allow them to be in control, and that's good. I I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I don't create that kind of game. I try to create a game where you know chaos runs rampant, because I believe we live in a world where chaos runs rampant. The minute you get in a car and drive out on the street, you are out of control of everything that's around you. You only can control that particular your car. So you know we, we don't we don't live in a world, and so I'm going to take you and put you in a world that's even more chaotic. There may be cultists who are trying to kill you. There may be ghouls that are in that graveyard. There may be you know, something horrible that's in that book if you pick it up and read it. And you're going to know that those terrible things are there. You're just not going to know how bad they are until you actually experience them. And that creates some of the, the fun of the game.
0: Absolutely. So what, what's some advice you would give to someone who's working on a Cthulhu-based game or thinking about it, got an idea? What's the advice you'd give them?
1: Start with theme. Stick with theme. It's all about theme. So, you know, if you're depending on what story you're trying to tell, uh, if you're trying to tell a particular story out of the Lovecraft, uh, you know, tales, whether it's Lovecraft or somebody else, because there's tons of authors who have written, you know, added to the mythology, uh, you know, make sure make sure that your game is true to that particular story. What were the heroes or the, the key characters in that story? What were they experiencing? That's what you want your players to experience. To some extent. You want to give them an opportunity to win. You want to give it an opportunity, a chance. And you want, you know, it has to be more than just, hey, I can paint a lot of really cool-looking monsters and, you know, create a bunch of good-looking things that, that, that you pull on the table. There has to actually be this experience of risk and reward. So uh, if we do these things, we have a chance to – save the world, stop this, do that, whatever. If we fail to do these things, then terrible things could happen. I think you just have to try to find that balance. and It's really, you know, once again, it's not an easy thing to explain because this is more of an art than a science at this point when I talk about it. I want to bring this experience that I saw in a movie, I read in a book, uh, whatever, and I want to bring it into a board game, and I want you to experience it in that board game. And, you know, a lot of things... Are are where no matter what the game is, a lot of times, I look at it. You look at it, and the players on turn one will say, "Okay, this is a deck building game, so I need to buy these cards here and do this, this, this." this. It's all about the mechanics, not about the story, okay? Or or and 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 what I think you have to do in a Lovecraft game is make it about the story.
0: Gotcha. And now I know we talked a lot about some some general advice in the beginning of the show, but what are, what's just the general advice you'd give people after your years of experience in the industry, things you've seen, things you've seen change? What general advice would you give somebody who's just starting out right now?
1: I, I would say work hard, work hard, and don't give up. Uh, you know, uh, if you fail ten times, then then work on your eleventh. Uh, you know, just just keep plugging away uh don't be married to any particular mechanics at when you're when you're working on an idea because you may discover those mechanics don't work the way you want them to when you bring that to the first play test be willing to toss things out make changes uh you know alter the game all with a focus on experience now i'm one of the few people that do not really like to do blind testing in other words at least not not early in the game at all, has to be very, very late after development that I would be interested in aim-blind testing because I want to see the players playing the game and I want to see the experience they're having. And if I'm watching a game, even if it's in a third version of beta and I see something is catching, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not allowing the experience to take place, I'll make a change right there midstream with the players and say, okay, drop that, do this. You know, I did that the other day go with the game. Uh, things were getting seeming too easy on the encounters and I just took two dice out of the mix and said, okay, these are your maximum dice you can get now All of a sudden the game got ten times more interesting uh, and and I so from my perspective, I'm very aware of what I want the experience to be and I want to see if the players are having that when they're playing the game. So you know I, I like to watch that and I think the, the key is, if, if I was a young designer, the advice I would get is work hard, design the game, put it in front of people, make changes to it, and don't be afraid to change any of what you consider a core mechanic because if it's not working, it, it can't be a core mechanic. And you'll find that, that you'll be able to, to bring some of these to the finish line.
0: Wow. Richard, man, really appreciate every everything you've said, everything you, you've been talking about. You got anything else to add on Cthulhu or board games in general, general anything like that? No, it's
1: just it's a you know it's a it's a great it's a great industry to be in. You know, there's tons of great people uh, both in the industry at the conventions. I enjoy I enjoy uh, visiting with them, playing games with them, talking with them, uh, uh, designing games and publishing games. I, I can't I can't imagine a more fun and rewarding field. Uh, and and I think it's just that uh, you know when you get to do for a living what you really love doing uh there's just nothing better than that
0: yeah absolutely richard really appreciate your time we're about to go into the bonus round the bonus material you can find over at BoardGameDesignLab.com. we're going to be talking about richard's favorite mechanics in games and why he loves those Uh, but right now we're signing off richard really appreciate your time really appreciate you being here and uh, hopefully we can have you on again soon glad to do it thank you awesome thanks for listening Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?